As you turn your Bibles to Matthew 24, I want to give you a few introductory illustrations that will hopefully help you make sense of today's message. So I want you to first imagine some of you are in this situation right now. You're a student. You're a student and you have a big test coming, big. Like this is going to determine your career. So I want you to imagine you are that person. You're having a test come. You need to prepare. You need to study. And it is not a kind of test that you can cram for. It's not one that you can just do at the last minute. This isn't college students at the end of finals the week before and say, yeah, I've kind of loafed off all semester and and I can just cram it in and then pass. I want you to imagine you're a student and you've got a big test. But Here's the dilemma. You don't know when the test date is. And one day you're going to get an email And it's going to say the test is tomorrow and you need to be ready. How might you prepare? How might you go about your day-to-day life if you realized that you've got this big test and it could come tomorrow? And you can't just in one night memorize all the things you need to memorize and do all the things you need to do. Let me give another scenario. Same kind of idea. We had a the Rager family over, they recently just sold their home and I was talking to them about that and I said, you know, sometimes it's exhausting when you have to sell your house. Um, The the process of showing your home can be tiring because you have to keep the house tidy and clean and picked up. You you don't want people coming over and your stuff's just scattered all over the place. So I, I want you to imagine that you're trying to sell your home but you don't know when the people that are gonna come see it are going to come for their appointment. Both of these scenarios point to the reality of which Jesus is speaking of in this passage of Scripture. The constant need to be ready. The idea of needing to be ready and respond and that at any moment, that day could come. The appointment where somebody knocks on the door and says, we're here, we're ready. The test is tomorrow. And it's with that in mind, I'm going to read for you the passage of Scripture that we have next in our teaching series in Matthew. It's Matthew 24, and it's verses 36 to 44. Matthew 24, 36 to 44. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect." So one sentence, one short summary sentence of what I just read to you. It's your big idea, your takeaway thought 
for this morning that will hopefully guide you through this week and this life. Stay awake because only God knows when that day will be. Stay awake or as Jesus says at the end of the passage, make yourself ready. These are Jesus's words, not Phil's, right? Stay awake, make yourself ready because the reason he is commanding that is because only God the Father knows. Only God knows when that day will be. So I want you to make sense of this sentence. I want you to not just hear it and memorize it. I want you to make sense of what I just said, what Jesus just said. And the first thing we need to make sense of is, what's that day? What is that day that is being referred to? So look back at verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So stay awake, because only God knows when that day will be. But what is that day? And the answer is verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The day that's being referred to here is the coming of the Son of Man. Some of you may have heard this already. This is what we've been saying all the past few weeks in Matthew 24. The coming of the Son of Man needs to be interpreted in terms of A, the word coming means arrival, the presence of a king. Two, you need to realize that the word coming here is not referring to necessarily a coming from heaven, heaven to earth as Jesus' second return. But first and foremost, in this passage of scripture, the coming refers to the Daniel 7 son of man figure. And as we saw in Daniel 7 last week, and as we will hear again this week, in Daniel 7, there were thrones placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat on his throne, and thousands and thousands were serving him, and 10,000 times 10,000 were standing before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What is Daniel 7 about? What did I just read? There is an Ancient of Days sitting on a throne, and the books are opened. He is a judge. That's what's being presented in Daniel 7 a judge of all of the universe, taking his seat, sitting on his throne. And when that happens, then our phrase, the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven is then given in Daniel 7. It says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days from earth to heaven and was presented before him. And he was given a dominion and a glory and a kingdom. And then all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. So that day is the coming of the Son of Man. But what is the coming of the Son of Man? It is a day of judgment. It is a day when the courts are opened, when the judge is sitting on his throne, and he is receiving one, one Son of Man, a human. That's what Son of Man phrase means. A human is now going to come and sit at his right hand, and he is going to be given equal authority and dominion, and together they will do what? Daniel 7, here it is. I looked, and they killed the beast, and its body was destroyed, and it was given over and burned with fire, and the rest of the beasts had their dominion taken away. The beasts of the earth, which Daniel 7 goes on to explain, is the kingdoms of this world who are opposed to God 
They will be burned with fire. Their dominion will be taken away. So what is Daniel 7 about? What is the coming of the Son of Man about? It is a day of judgment against the kingdoms of this world and the rulers of it that have opposed God. What does it mean to be taken away in Daniel 7? Not good. Judgment. You don't want to be taken in Daniel 7. Stay awake, because only God knows when this day will be, the day of the Son of Man. Stay awake, because only God knows the day of judgment. That would be the simplest way to summarize what Jesus is saying. Stay awake, be ready, because only God knows the day of judgment, when the courts of the heavens are opened And everyone is worshiping and bowing before this God, and he knows all the secret thoughts of every man, because this will be just like the days of Noah. That's what our text says. Look at verse 37 again. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What were the days of Noah? They weren't happy days. They were days of judgment. And Jesus goes on to spell out that in those days, verse 38, before the flood, people were acting like everything was normal. They were not preparing themselves for judgment. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And so they were unaware, they were unprepared until the flood came and then swept them. Some translations say, took them away. So it will be on that day of the coming of the Son of Man, the day of judgment. Do you see the relationship between Jesus saying, do you remember that story in the Old Testament in Genesis chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9? When people did not listen to Noah, Noah was not just some guy that built an ark because God told him to. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. He was warning people, the judgment is coming. Listen, help me. Let's get on this boat together. And they were unaware. They said, no, 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 I'm not listening to that prophet of God. I'm not listening to that preacher. We're just going to keep doing what we've always been doing. That's the picture Jesus paints from the Old Testament. They weren't taking Noah seriously. And the effect was to be taken, to be swept away. That means being taken in Daniel 7 is not a positive context. It is a time of judgment. To be taken in Noah's context is not positive. It is a negative judgment. So then when we read these verses that are often used very positively to talk about being taken, I ask you, why would you read them this way? Here's the verses. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one left. Friends, we can agree to disagree on how to read this passage of Scripture, but as we have consistently been working through Matthew 24, I do not think it would be wise for you to view this text of Scripture as a secret rapture being taken from earth by God to heaven. Whether or not the Bible teaches that at all is another discussion for another day. But here's what I feel rather confident about. There is no clarity whatsoever that that is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, taken. Taken where? Then there'll be some who are left. Left where? 
Who's doing the taking? Where are they going? The only context suggests what so far? Judgment. Daniel 7, judgment. Noah, judgment. To be taken here seems much better to be understood as there will be two people working. They'll be out in a field, maybe brothers, family members. They're certainly of the same ethnicity. They're close. One of them will be taken and snatched, perhaps by a Roman soldier, when the judgment that Jesus just predicted a few passages ago comes. When the day of judgment, when God uses the Roman forces on the nation of Israel and starts plundering and pillaging and raping and destroying the city of Jerusalem and its temple right at the center. On that day, there will be some that just minded their own business, did not listen to the teaching of Jesus when he said explicitly, just look your eyes up the passage. He says, when you see those signs coming, I'm giving you the signs. I don't know the day or the hour. I can't tell you the precise day. It's not going to be Tuesday, September 15th on this day of this year. But what I do know is the signs. And when you see those signs, run, run for the hills. And those that aren't listening to the preacher of righteousness, Jesus, and say, oh, he said that 30 years ago, that's not coming true. Those people will find themselves surprised by a judgment, by a violence, by a terrible catastrophe. And Jesus wants none of this. And so he is warning them, be ready, stay alert. My words will come true. Therefore, I don't think that you should understand this passage as, well, one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to suck people like a portal into the heavens. Where, where does that idea come from in this text? It comes from you reading it into the text. That's the only possible way you can read that sort of reading of this passage. Now, maybe you have warrant to read that from other Bible passages. But in my conclusion, I think the simplest way to understand this is by following the verses as they started in verse 1 of the chapter, continuing through, understanding the coming of the Son of Man as the Daniel 7 phrase that it is, as a day of judgment. And Jesus is predicting, as he said in verse 2, read verse 2 again, Every single stone of this temple will be flipped upside down and turned over and there will not be one left on top of another. I'm predicting a day of judgment. Verse 3, when will this happen? The disciples are asking and everything we've been looking at since then is his answer to it. And so here in verse 36, he's saying, I don't know the day or the hour. I've given you the general signs and I've told you a broad timetable, 40 years. It will happen in this generation. That's verse 34. It will happen. You can guarantee it. Bank it in. But friends, pause for a moment. 40 years. Can I just do a quick little demonstration here? How many of you in this room, room, this gathering, are even over 40 years old? Please raise your hand. All of you look around. These are the people that have lived long enough to know the timetable that Jesus is talking about. The rest of you that aren't holding your hand, by the way, I'm 30, 34, soon to be 35. This is longer than my entire lifetime that he's asking you to be ready. That's what he's saying to his disciples. In this generation, there'll be all kinds of chaos, wars and rumors of wars. There'll be all kinds of things that will make you think it's the end. Oh, but that's not the end. But when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when you know it's right around the corner but I can't tell you when that is. It'll happen within maybe 40 years. That's, that's the best I got. 
And many people struggle at this point because they're like, wait, shouldn't Jesus know more? He's God, isn't he? How does it say that Jesus does not know the day or the hour, but only the Father does? I thought Jesus was also God, and Jesus is fully God. And friends, you should know that I would love to go on and talk a whole hour-long theological discussion here about the two persons of, of Jesus and this one nature of his fully God, fully man. But here's what you just simply need to understand is that Jesus is fully God. And then in his human state, he is doing only what the father has asked him to do. He is completely submitting himself to the will of the father, which includes humbling himself to all of the normal human faculties, which means at times not knowing some things. Being in one location and not everywhere. Prior to his incarnation, before Jesus came into the earth, he was God the son, always existed, wasn't born and created by the Father, always was, and then took on human form. And when that happened, he was a baby. It said in Luke chapter 2, he had to learn the wisdom and knowledge like a child, like every other human ever has to learn. And then the moments where you say, but it seemed like he had secret knowledge because the Father would have given it to him because of God's Spirit enabling him. And, and certainly he had divine power that's clearly evident all over. And so he is fully God in every sense of it and fully man in every sense of it. And this is the complexity and the mystery that you find here in this verse as well. There are just some things that as Jesus is talking to his disciples, like I just don't know all of those details, but here's what I do know. And that what he does know was given to him from his father. And he is telling them that they can bank on it, they should trust his words, and that therefore they should stay awake. Therefore they should get ready. And this is what this passage, I believe, means in this first century context. There's a day coming, Jesus says. It will be a day of judgment. It will be a day that's specifically focused on the judgment that happens in Jerusalem within 40 years. And guess what? It happened. And here's the phrase I want all of you to understand, because at this point you might be thinking, okay, good history lesson. Thanks, Pastor Phil. But what about us? Does this have anything to do with us? I've always read this passage of scripture as if it was future-oriented as something that's going to happen in the future. Here's the phrase. This is the phrase I want you to learn today. This is the phrase I want you to learn every time we're in this passage and every time you're in the book of Revelation, every time you're in the book of Daniel. Here's the phrase. It happened. It is happening. It will happen again. It happened. It is happening. It will happen again. What am I referring to? The day. The day of the Lord is not just one day. The day that Jesus is speaking of here, he has in mind the one day that will be the day in Jerusalem. That day happened. The day that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah of the Babylonian exile, that happened. But the language Jesus uses here to say that day is happening again in his day. And so here's, here's the pattern. Noah had a day of judgment. That day happened. But then a day of the Lord, a day of judgment happened again, over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus and all the New Testament writers picks up on that language and says, hey, remember those days of the Lord, those days of judgment, they happen again. And they did in AD 70. They did at the cross. They did in so many different ways. It keeps happening as a cycle, as a rhythm of this is how God works in the world. So it happened. This passage in Matthew 24 is first and foremost about 
The destruction of the Jerusalem temple, that is the context of what Jesus is talking about. But it is not limited to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. It happened. It's happening now. The day of the Lord is happening now in your personal life, in our country, in our world. The day of the Lord will happen. And climactically and finally, all of it will have a final day and a final coming of Jesus. So we do not have to pick and choose between, oh, is this only about the temple or is this only about something that happens in the future? It's a yes, both. So the destruction of Jerusalem temple, what can we learn from this for us? If this passage is not just about something that happened in the first century, but it is something that is happening right now and it is something that will happen in the future, Well, then I think our big idea still serves us really well right now. Stay awake, make yourself ready, because only God knows when that day will be for you and for us. So let me give you four quick ideas about how you can stay awake and make yourself ready for that day. Because that day may be an individual day for you, where you've been coasting along and things have just been going a certain way. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, unaware, the day comes and you get woken up out of your slumber. That happens for many of us individually. Happens for all of us as a country. Has not COVID-19 been, well, hello, a day? And I don't mean as a judgment from God specifically because America, you did this and so God's doing this. But it is a, a broader kind of judgment. It is not good. And in that sense, it is a day of the Lord. Were you ready for it? Are you awake? Has it woken you up yet? So four things. We're not facing the threat of the Roman Empire. We're not waiting for the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. What path are you headed on right now that will lead to your destruction? Number one, busyness. Stay awake, my friends, fellow church members. Stay awake and be ready for the day of judgment because the way for you to stay awake as a Christian in this crazy, chaotic, run like crazy, Northwest suburban life is not to do more, but to do less. The way for you to prepare yourself and make yourself ready is probably to take a day off, to get more sleep, to do more time in prayer, spend more time with God. Remember, this is not a sprint. Jesus did not say, hey, it's going to be any time next week. 40 years. And then the day came. COVID-19 shut everything down. And I heard so many of you say, this is really nice. I finally for a moment realized like how crazy our lives were. We needed COVID-19 to stop some of us and realize the rat race of the treadmill that we keep running on And friends, how many of us are kind of like itching to get back to that? Because it's like a drug that we just keep wanting more. The carrot that hangs out. How many of us is that us? So friends, realize that as Dallas Willard said, the greatest threat to our spiritual growth in this day is. I wonder how you'd answer that question. The greatest threat to my spiritual life in the present modern day is. And if you didn't know, Dallas Willard is like this spiritual growth guru kind of guy. So you read his books and you're like, wow, this guy 
He can teach you how to become a strong Christian. How, how do I make sure that I'm not being overcome by the greatest threat? He says, it's, it's being in a hurry. I would have never said that. My guess is 99% of us would not have said that. The greatest threat to your spiritual growth right now is being in a hurry. How many times are you in a hurry and you're acting at your best and serving and walking your family in love? I'm sure at this point I could insert in dozens of stories of me running around the house, snapping at my wife and children and saying, come on, we got to get to church of all places. And I'm in a hurry. Was that anybody this morning? I don't need to raise hands for this. <laughs> Number two, ruthlessly stay awake by fighting against digital distraction. How will you stay alert to the things of God and the signs of what God is doing in the world if you are addicted to the alerts and the messages and the pings on your phone? Here's my modern day translation of Jesus's words. Two men were in a car playing Candy Crush while driving. One crashed in a terrible car accident and died. The other just barely missed hitting a child playing in the streets of their neighborhood. That's Jesus's words landing today. And that's not even the, the worst part of it. The worst part of our digital distraction is not the car accidents, although that's really bad in and of itself, that's really bad. Sean Parker, one of the founders of Facebook, has recently said this. It literally has changed our relationship with society, it being social media. It has changed our relationship with each other. It interferes with productivity in really weird ways. God only knows what it's doing to the brains of our children. Founder of Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg, that's who's saying this. He explains that Facebook was designed and developed with this one single objective. How can we consume? How can we get them to consume as much of their time and their conscious attention as possible? That mindset led them to the creation of features like the like button that would give users a small dopamine hit to encourage them to upload more content so they would get more hits. It's a social validation feedback loop, Sean Parker says. It's the exactly kind of thing that a hacker like myself would want to come up with because we are exploiting the vulnerability in human psychology. They knew what they were doing when they put the little button like. They knew that each one of your phones has a scroll down, thumb down feature that has a little spinny wheel because they studied that the most addictive thing that makes more money than baseball and the lottery combined is slot machines. And every day you and I have a slot machine in our phones with a small little dopamine hit because the small little coins that get purchased of your time and attention just keep adding up day after day after day. How many of you get so guilty when you get that little reminder? You've spent this many hours this week of screen time. I highly recommend as a good follow-up to point two, to stay awake and alert, to watch the social dilemma on Netflix. And with that, I will move on to point three. Long for the day of the Lord and his judgment. God will make things right and he will punish his enemies. 
Too often people hear a teaching like this and they're thinking, okay, stay awake, stay alert. And they want to get in a, a flurry of running around activities and, and instead of doing less, they want to do more. And they don't have the big picture in mind. And in general, their mindset is one of fear and guilt. Today's message should be one of longing for the day of the Lord. Longing for the day when God brings judgment. That judgment is good. I know that so many of you through conversations are sick and tired of what is going on in our world right now. From whatever perspective you're coming from. You're sick of it. So long for it. This is not something that you need to be like, I better get myself ready before Jesus comes because otherwise I'm going to be left behind. Wrong attitude. Be motivated by the delight that it is that our God cares and that he has done something in the past. He is doing something right now and he will do something in the future. And you can bank on it in the same way that we can bank on that the temple, in the, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Did it happen? Yes. Are Jesus' words true? Yes. So bank on it. That was just a foreshadowing of the future days of the Lord that already have come and will come. Fourth, finally, most importantly, remember that Jesus stayed awake when his disciples fell asleep. All week long, I'm thinking about this phrase, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And then it leads me to the cross of Christ in those last few moments of Jesus's death. And he just asks his disciples one thing in the, in the moment of need, in the, the moment that he is at his uttermost desperate, weak state as a human. Could you watch with me for an hour? Could you pray and watch and stay awake? He pleaded with them again because they fell asleep and then he woke them up and said, stay awake. And sure enough, their failure to stay awake is in part maybe one of the reasons why soldiers come into the garden and arrest Jesus to his death. Or to put it another way, it is only because of our inability to stay awake that Jesus, the one who did stay awake, the one who watched in prayer, the one who stayed all the way to the very end, endured for all 33 years of his life and died on a cross for our sins, rose again from the dead triumphantly three days later and then was vindicated at the Father's right hand when he ascended to heaven and then in 70 AD his words became crystal clear true. It was like the coming of the Son of Man. This is the hope we have. Not how good you are at the previous three points. The hope you have is that you have an older brother that did stay awake. You have one who was the judge of all the universe and he stepped down from his mighty throne and he became the judged. The judge became the judged because he took our place and died and took the, the wrath and the full weight of God on his shoulders. Now you and I have hope and a reason to believe that he's going to keep us to the very end. And even when we start to drift off, the Spirit will waken us up. And maybe today is that day for some of you. Wake up. Maybe some of you are sleeping right now. Like literally, wake up. Jesus wants to get your attention. Wake up and get your life on the path 
that is staying alert and awake and do it fueled by the grace that he has already trailed, blazed that trail and gone down that path for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come now in the name of Jesus, our only hope, our Savior and Lord, our King. And I pray that today we will receive the conviction of the Spirit and that we would see this as a mercy. Not that you're out to get us, but to save us and rescue us. Lord, save us from the busyness of this rat race of the American dream. Save us from the feeling of trying to keep up with other people, with our, our homes and our cars and our possessions. Save us, God, from the digital distraction and the constant manipulation that we are being given into with social media and the technology that both serves us in many wonderful ways that we're thankful for right this minute. And that is at the same moment, a tremendous curse that is destroying our society and our lives and even leading many of us to our very deaths. Oh God, help us to long for the day of your coming, the day of your judgment. If today is a day for some people in their heart right now, I pray that they would turn and receive Jesus and his gift of grace and mercy and know that the judge has become the judged and taken their place. And I pray that that would fill them with such joy and thanksgiving and realize that it's not up to our performance and how good we are at staying alert and awake and that many of us doze off way too often. So help us, God, to be honest about that and fight together as a community of faith in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.